0: Good morning everyone. You can grab your seats and uh, as you're making your way back with your favorite hot beverage, if you have it, um, some people are raising their glass. Uh, Glad you're here this morning and uh, worshiping with us and the Lord has given you new mercies because you woke up today and you're here. And so we are in our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. You can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. That's where we are in this process. If you remember, The book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is the same word where we get ecclesia, which is where we get the word church from. It's the gathering of things or the gathering to tell. It's an assembly. And so Solomon, if you remember, Solomon was anointed as king uh, or he was given the kingship from David, his father. He builds a temple. He creates wealth. He has over 700 wives, 300 uh, concubines, which isn't good. We'll look at that in just a second. And Solomon has written three books. He's written his first book, Song of Solomon, that's all about passion, specifically passion in relationships when you're young, specifically passion in a relationship with a female and a male. Then he writes the book of Proverbs because you realize you can't live life on passion. You have to do wise things to get through life. He does Proverbs and then he comes to the end of his life and he writes the book of Ecclesiastes and he's calling everyone together because it's kind of like, look, you need to listen to this. I'm old and you need to listen to me. Right? It's like grandpa calling everybody by the house and say, I gotta tell you something before I'm gone. And that's what Ecclesiastes is. And when you read the book, it's kind of like, Man, grandpa, you're depressed. Like it's a it's a rough book. Until you get to the end. Because at the end and the theme of our series is when all has been heard. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. Solomon goes through 11 chapters talking about the reality of life, the frustration of life, the problems of life, and he doesn't mince words and he doesn't hold back. I mean, he is laying it out more clearly than probably any book in Scripture. I mean, he is just brutal about how pointless, futile, meaningless life is until he gets to chapter 12. And then there's this moment where he says, you know, when when I've thought about everything, when I've heard everything, when I've seen everything, which is what we're going to look at this morning is I saw. Because Solomon says multiple times in chapter four, I saw this and I saw that. And he says it throughout the book, but specifically in this chapter. He says, "When when you look at everything, the end of the conclusion of the matter of why life exists, why we're here, what's the point? is simply to be in awe of God, fear him. It's that awe or reverence and to do what he tells us to do because it's the best option we've got, even though it doesn't seem to be working out well sometimes on this side of eternity. Now, this morning, we're going to look at that because we're going to look at the fact of why it doesn't work out well. And we're going to look at what God tells us in the midst of that. Remember, Solomon in 2 Chronicles asked for wisdom. He asked for knowledge God in 1 Kings tells Solomon, Yes, I'm granting you that knowledge. Okay? And then he says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, and from the nations of whom the Lord said not, said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts away after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. See, Solomon saw what he wanted, and he took it. What do you see? If you were to say, I saw dot, 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 which is what we're going to look at this morning, what do you see? Because see, what you see and what you look for, you'll find. Jesus said that. The Bible's clear. Seek and you shall find. Whatever it is you're looking at, whatever it is you want, whatever it is you're seeking, your human mind and will and emotion will turn you to that every single time. Now Coda's doing crazy stuff back there on me. He gave it away. He'll turn you to it every single time. Your heart will twist scripture, twist everything that's real around you to get what you're looking at and what you want. Or to get what you saw someone else have. Or to get what you saw in the past that someone else had. And you say, well, I want that. I saw it and I want it. And Solomon did that. The whole book is Solomon saying, that's exactly how I lived my life. I lived by sight. What I saw, I did. And when it worked, I did more of it. So I got one wife, that worked, so I got more. I got 700. I got a little bit of wealth, so I got more. And more and more and more. And it's just, look at how much I have. See, it proves I'm right. It proves I'm doing things well. It proves that I've got the answers. Because all these people keep coming to me wanting me to marry their wives, or their, their daughters. Because I'm so awesome. Of course, that's why they're doing it. See, we say these same lies to ourselves. It's total pragmatism. If it works, look, I did it. I saw that it worked, so it must be right. The Bible's the opposite of that. And we're going to look at that this morning, that we don't live by sight. We live by faith. So let me ask you, what do you cling to that you've seen that you want and that you love? That that is your love. You see it and you cling. And I got to have it or I don't feel like I'm loved. That, that's my love. I got to cling to it. Because if I don't get it, then God's not coming through for me. What is that thing that you cling to like Solomon did that he couldn't get rid of the foreign women? And then the women he got, he couldn't stand up to their idolatry and all the idols. He even made temples all throughout Jerusalem to foreign gods to please the wives he had married and the children he had and the nations that he had peace with. And we'll do the same thing. And the modern church is doing the same thing today. We will do whatever it takes to have peace. The Bible says those who say peace, peace are lying because there is no peace under the sun. And Solomon's writing Ecclesiastes because he's finally figured that out. There is no peace under the sun. I've tried everything, and I can't find it. I've loved, and I've loved. So let me ask you. See, your mind plays tricks on you on what you see, right? So you're going to see a couple of images that flashed up there earlier. And I want you to see these images. They're going to come quick, so be ready. I'll tell him when to click. And when he when, don't click early, Codas. Don't get off the clicker. So, so when, we, when, when, this, when these images flash, I want you to say, this is what I saw. Okay, you ready? Go. What do you see? Okay, what did, what, what did you see? What was it? Two faces. Wrong, it was a vase. There was a vase in the white. You, you see, we're trained to see people in faces, but in the white space, which we're not trained to see, we're trained to see color, Not we ignore the white space in our lives. That was a white vase. On the dog, that was a woman laying over hugging her dog, and the dog's head was here. But she's hugging the dog, so it looks like she's got a dog head. You see, our eyes can, can and do and will play tricks on you, I promise. And the older you get, the more tricks they play. Eyewitness accounts are not always the best. They're helpful. And more eyewitnesses accounts can get more perspectives. It's why we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's four different perspectives by four different people so we can see what was actually true. Not one guy saying, I saw it. And confirmed by many witnesses. Because it was circulated and people believed it. So this morning, look at this picture. Go to the next one, Cody. So there are the two pictures. There's the vase. There's the dog, woman giving her dog a hug. Okay? See the vase and the white? Now. The dog, she's hugging. She's got her hand around and she's wrapped down like that. The dog's head's there. Okay, next picture. Those are two circles that do not connect or overlap. See, so your mind will play tricks on you. You cannot trust what you see. So you need outside of what this earth gives you to be able to have sight. And Solomon is realizing this in chapter 4 and he says I saw, and there's four things, he says I see all these acts of oppression that's the whole how can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people type mentality, right? I see all these acts of oppressions. He said I saw all the work do, is, that's done on the earth is due to a man's jealousy of his friend. Yeah, you go, ooh he has that. Well if I work harder then I can make the money and I could buy that. Oh, well, if he could do that, well, then I can do, I'll work harder. He goes on, he says, there's a person without a companion. I saw that one of the mo- most terrible things is people that have no companions. They're just alone and they choose to be that one. And then he says, I've seen that all the living follow a second youth who succeeds the first guy. We're just looking for somebody else to follow. We don't actually believe and trust what was taught from those before us. It's whatever works, whatever the next guy brings that'll work for me. Solomon says, I saw all four of these things, and they're horrible. And he says, verse 4, 1, again, I observed, or I saw. Again, I observed. I looked. See, this is the problem that you and I have. It's the problem of our world, that there is another world that we can't see. Now, you say that, and people about lose their minds in our culture, right? Right? You say, there's a world you can't see, a spiritual world. And people are like, oh, now here we go. You're one of those people who thinks in fairies and stuff. No, there's a world you can't see. Show me a germ right now. Show it to me. I'm not going to believe it unless you show it to me. Not a picture, not something like you bring me a germ, put it up here and go, there's a germ. Oh, wait, you can't because it's too small to see unless you develop a tool to be able to see it. Welcome to spirituality. Welcome to the Bible. God gave us a tool to be able to see an unseen spiritual realm. And if you don't use that tool, you can't see the realm. If you don't use a microscope, you can't see the germs. Like God keeps proving himself over and over again that there are unseen layers, unseen world. I mean, we keep saying we finally solved it. We solved the atom and then we find other particles. We're like, oh wait, no we didn't. And we keep going deeper and deeper and things just get more and more complex, not like simpler. And the more we observe and the more we seek, the more crazy it seems and the more we look and go, we don't understand anything. And instead what we do is we start looking for the things we want to be true and we stop looking for the truth. Because it's just overwhelming. Solomon later says, The reading of many books wearies the soul. And we get tired and we're like, I just, I'm just gonna, just one, there, I'm done. I'm just gonna, and we just stop because it's just exhausting. Look at what Jesus said He said, Hey, the reason I came into this world, I came into this world for judgment. A lot of people say, We shouldn't judge. Jesus said the whole point of him coming into the world was to make it clear that we deserve judgment. Because everyone crucified Christ because they couldn't stand the message that he gave to answer Solomon. They couldn't stand the life he lived because it turned their life upside down. And it didn't give them what they want and they couldn't see and understand what he was doing And so they were like, instead of us being judged, let's judge him and put him on the cross. And everybody either agreed or kept silent and said, let him go. And he said, in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. You think you see things? You think you know? Really? Really? Everybody in Jesus' day thought they knew exactly how the Messiah was going to come. They knew exactly what he was going to do. They had it figured out and dialed in and knew their Bibles forwards and backwards. And Jesus came in and said, no, 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 no. You've been observing the Bible the whole time for what you want it to be, not for who it is, me. I am the word, Jesus said, in the flesh in front of you. They didn't know how to deal with that. They had no box to put that in because they had been trained for decade after decade, century after century, that this is the box and to think outside of it, no. Now, does that mean Jesus went against the scriptures? No, Jesus obeyed every scripture. He told us the true interpretation of every scripture. Now we can look back and it becomes pretty clear and be like, oh, I see how I do the same thing that they did and how I twist. And and we believe the same lies and look for the same answers that the people of Jesus's day look for. And we crucify Christ all over again and all over again because we can't stand the answers that he gives us. We'd rather chase the answer Solomon chased and be happy in life and enjoy life for all it can give us than to be concerned that there's an unseen world that God will give us the ability to see he then goes on and Jesus said because you have seen me you have believed but those who believe without seeing they're the ones that are truly going to be blessed the word blessed there means find true happiness The ones that are truly going to be happy are the ones who have never seen me but totally believe in an unseen world that will protect them spiritually. Just like those that believe in an unseen germ world and wash their hands and use sanitizer. it's, It's the same thing. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith not by sight, and we are confident and satisfied. Are you confident and satisfied in Christ, in God? I would say that the majority of Christians in our day, most people that would look at other Christians, lost people or other Christians would not say that is a confident and satisfied believer in Jesus Christ. They would look at a Christian and say, well, they have all the same problems that I have. They say all the same things I say, all the same complaints, blah, 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 blah. They're no different than I am. We're to be the confident and satisfied people because we have seen what God has done. We have seen who Jesus was according to Scripture. We we trust and we know, and because we've had our eyes opened supernaturally by the Spirit of God, we are the ones that should be confident and satisfied. And then he says... We should be confident and satisfied to know that to be out of the body and at home, to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. That this body's nothing. I don't want to be in this body. I want to be at home. I don't want to be at work anymore. I want to be at home. Guess what? You're at work on this earth until Christ comes to take you home. It's work. There's rest, there's joy, but it's work. And we're supposed to take joy in our work, not complain and gripe about it. And it's supposed to feel like work, because it's work. (laughs) And he says, therefore, whether we are at home or whether we are away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. So many people want to run from their family so they go to work. So many people want to run from work so they can go home to be with their family. But very few people want to please God wherever he has them and wherever he takes them. We don't even know how to please God anymore because we look and see everything we want. Hebrews says this, now faith, what we not, but not sight, but faith. Remember, We don't live by sight, we live by faith. Now, faith is the reality, the confidence of what is hoped for, and the proof of what is not seen. Confidence and proof. God has given us the tools of the body of Christ, the history of the church, the word of God, the Holy Spirit. He has given us so much proof. He has given us so much ability to get in the spiritual microscope and see the reality of the unseen world that no one knows about and we don't even look in the microscope. It's just easier to just go along. I don't really want to see all those germs because that freaks me out and I'm a germ freak. I'd rather just not know they're there. Because then I'm gonna have to worry about them and it's gonna bug me. So I'm just gonna pretend like they're not there. And that's the way we treat our spiritual lives so often. He goes on and he says, For our ancestors won God's approval by faith. In other words, the people before us, like Solomon, didn't get to heaven because they did all these right things. They got to heaven because they realized I can't do what's right. People around me can't do right. We can't measure up. Something's broken. There's got to be something outside of this that isn't working. It's like the people in the Civil War when they were operating and they thought that the reason people were getting infections was from swamp gas. So they opened up all the tents so that more germs could flow and they, a certain surgeon realized if he washed his utensils before he cut the arm off the next person, they didn't get infected and die as much. You know what? They didn't listen to him. It took a lot longer, many more years before they believed that surgeon. And many more lives were lost and many more things happened because it couldn't be that simple to just wash stuff off. Like God says to wash things off in the Old Testament. He goes on and he says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by God's command." by a word, a spoken word, so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. In other words, God speaks things into existence. He doesn't need to take something and then reform it to make something else like we do. No, no, no. He speaks and creates things. And he says, by faith, and then The writer of Hebrews goes off on all the people of faith, Abel. Abel had faith and he was murdered by his brother. It's like, man, that didn't work out well. And at the end of all the people he lists, this is what Paul says. These all died in faith without, without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance. They saw, but it was like they couldn't really see from a distance greeted them and said, I want that, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents of the earth. See, here's Solomon's problem. Solomon saw himself as a king, not a foreigner. And so he built all the king stuff, and he was miserable and realized, I'm going to die, and I haven't prepared myself for the next place that's coming. All I've done is prepare a big kingdom for me here and now, and I know it's going to disappear. And then he says, now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They make it clear that they're not living for the stuff they see here, but something beyond. They make it clear Again, doctors and nurses who mask up and wash up and put gloves on and do all the protocols they have to do are making it clear that they believe in germs. They're making it clear to you. They're making it clear to their fellow nurses and doctors. If a doctor walked in, he's like, I don't really think, I'm just going to do it. And he, no washing, no. they'd be like, whoa. Scrub up first. There'd be lawsuits But we'll let Christians, and we as Christians will do that all day long. We just need to understand that, you know, I'm forgiven so I can do this. They may, what home, what are you seeking? What do you want? What do you see that you want? Is it heaven? Is it God Himself in heaven? Look, heaven isn't heaven without God. So if you just want heaven so it's easier, you're not wanting the right thing. Heaven is heaven because the guy that you want to be with is there. The guy you want to hang with is there. That's what makes it heaven. He goes on, says this, all the acts of oppression being done in the sun, look at all the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. Is this not like like 2023? <laughs> this is what I see every day? We elect a new guy, and oh wait, he's an oppressor too. And we elect a new guy. Oh, he's an oppressor too. And then we look at ourselves and we go, "Oh, I'm an oppressor too. I oppress people for my own advantage. And we all look around and go, "Is there any hope?" Yes, but it's got to come from outside of us. It can't come from within us. We need something outside of us to act because what's in us isn't working. And that's exactly what Solomon is realizing. He's like, I see all the tears. I see all this mess. And I see that power is with those who oppress. And there's really nobody to comfort them. Nobody nobody wants to. This is a mess he's looking at. And we're like, yeah, that's. Look at what. Earliest book of the Bible, Job. You want to know why we have this problem of oppression? Here we go. This is probably, some believe that Job was written before Genesis. Okay, here's what it says. The Lord said to Satan, Satan shows up and talks to God. I don't know how that works, it just happened. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity. God would never say that about me. (laughs) Probably not about you. What about Job? He says this. You think, who fears God and turns away from evil? Satan answered the Lord. Does Job fear God for nothing? You've protected him from everything. You've let no bad happen to him. Let me go after him and I guarantee you he won't follow you anymore. He'll turn his back. He'll be done with you. Let me test him. And Job is tested and goes through stuff that you and I can't imagine, and he doesn't turn his back on God. He's honest with God, he is broken, but he doesn't turn his back. And so after all this oppression, and all this oppression Job receives in two chapters, by chapter three, this is what Job says, after this, Job began to speak and curse the day he was born. He said, may the day I was born perish, and the night when they said, said, a boy is conceived. See, we think depression is something we shouldn't experience. Name somebody in the Bible who wasn't depressed at some point. Now, is there clinical depression? Yes, I'm not saying you shouldn't seek medical help. We shouldn't work through these things. But our main problem is that we see the world and think, I shouldn't be this way. And so as a result, I'm going to try everything I can not to be this way instead of saying, Maybe I'm supposed to be this way for a time because God's trying to do something in me to change me and change other people and teach me something. No, we want to fix now. I saw a fix. I saw a pill. I saw a commercial. They said they had a pill. And when I was growing up, drug companies didn't sell pills on commercials. You didn't go to your doctor and say, I saw a pill, I want it. That never happened. You went to your doctor and like, I don't know what to do. And they helped you. Nowadays, it's like you tell your doctor what to do. You you have your friend tell your doctor what to do. Like, Job is broken. He is crushed, and he's cursing the day he was born. This is in the third chapter of the book, and the book goes a lot longer. Thirty-some chapters. His friends come and comfort him, and they are miserable counselors. That's God's synopsis of them. They are the most miserable friends and counselors you can have. Why? Because they're all saying, Job, just do this and do that. And you must have done this and you must have that. They're talking about all the things that they've seen that works. They don't realize there's something else behind the scenes going on that Satan has been given permission to make Job, are you ready for this? An example for eternity to you and I and every human that ever walks the earth of what really living spiritually looks like. And we don't like the story. And we don't want to read it. And we don't want to believe it. Solomon goes on. He said, after I've seen all this oppression, man, I admired the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. But better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that's done under the sun. So is Solomon a proponent of abortion? We just need to kill all the babies. That way they don't have to ever see sin. We just murder them all. Death is not in our hands to take. And we're fighting that in our culture today because our culture is telling every human being right now, if you don't feel like being alive, we'll help you be dead. Because you're so costly to yourself and to others and we'll save the world and save us some money by killing you off. See, God values life, even the life of the sufferer. And God walks in that suffering. And so Job is looking and he's like, I admired the dead. You know, we don't admire the dead anymore, we try to avoid it. I know people that have never been to a funeral and they won't let their kids go to funerals because it's just too depressing, it's too hard. You're going to die. You might want to teach your kids how to deal with that before you're dead. You might want to deal with some of these issues before this happens. And you know what? I admire the dead every day. You want to know who I admire? Jesus. You know what he did? He died. I admire him more than anyone else because he's the one that died in my place and came back to life. Every day I wake up, I'm like, thank you for the dead man Jesus who came back to life as the living God. See, Job is saying, I admired the dead. Yes. That's the point. We get ready for something that we don't see. We don't just live for what we see in this life. We say, you know, I know there's a better life. I know there's something coming that's going to be better. I know that when I die to myself, there is a new birth that happens, not birth under the sun, that's what he says, the activity under the sun, but a heavenly birth that happens. And now I have a heavenly home that's no longer an earthly place. Like the Bible answers all of Solomon's questions. And you know what we're really to admire? We're truly not only to admire Jesus who died, we should admire those that die to themselves in this life to live for something greater. And you know what we do to those people? We either ignore them or we push them off to the side because we can't stand the life they live because it convicts us so badly that we want nothing to do with them. We don't elevate those that are dying to themselves. We don't. Because they don't get us what we want. And we're supposed to be the ones that realize what Solomon realized in this passage. You see, the Lord has a special place, the Bible says, for those who are killed and martyred. He has a special place in his heart. When God told David that his child wasn't going to live from the affair that he had with Bathsheba, David fasted and he prayed and he asked God to spare that child and God said no, but he did say the child will be with me. And David, when he, the child was reported to him that the child died, everybody thought David, if they told him, David would kill himself. You can go read the story. He's going to do something terrible and kill himself. And the second they told David the child died, He got showered, he got dressed, and he had a big praise service to praise God for sparing the nation and for giving him someday his son back when he meets him again. And David didn't have the promise of resurrection that we've seen in the New Testament. And David believed by faith that his God was that big. See, these are the stories of our Bible that we ignore. Why do we ignore them? Because we're all looking for the three points that can make this thing I see better. So let's grab this topic I'm on and let's find the three points that can make it better. There. There we go. We don't want to wrestle with these deep things. We don't want to wrestle with these hard things that just can't be solved with a pill or something quick or a fix. 2 Timothy 4 says this, for I am, Paul writes and he's writing Timothy at the end of his life and he says, "I am already being poured out as a drink offering." And the time for my departure is close. He's like, I'm going to die. I'm either going to die physically because I'm in this prison or they're going to kill me. I'm not getting out of this. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future. See his confidence? There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. He's not saying I've earned it. He's saying I'm going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to look at me and say, you're dead, now you're alive, and you're made righteous because of me and what I've done. And he will give it to me, and not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. See, we keep wanting to create new things, instead of loving the fact that we have the God of the universe that's appeared to us. And he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil work, and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul didn't get rescued from every evil work. He got killed, most likely his head cut off. You see, getting his head cut off was not an evil work. It was a righteous work. Paul did the right thing. Paul didn't do an evil thing. They did an evil thing. Paul is looking and saying, the Lord will rescue me from every evil work. And was Paul rescued from the beheading? Yes, he was given a new body with head attached. He's going to be given a new body with head attached. He's given a relationship with God. He's like, oh, I lost my head for a moment. It's back on. Woo! Paul knew that. He trusted in that. He believed it. Ecclesiastes goes on. He says, I saw all the labor and skillful and all the skillful work is due to a man's jealousy of his friend. This too is futile in a pursuit of a win. Why do you want what you want? Why do you work where you work? Why do you do what you do? What are you pursuing? So you can have money? So that you can travel? So that you can, so that you can, so you, Or do you work because you so want to be a blessing to others and not be a burden to others that you want to be able to care for yourself and care for others in such a way that you can bless the world with the reality of the gospel and the reality of who Jesus is and see missionaries sent out all over the globe through your life? Because I'm telling you, that's not the normal thing you're going to hear in modern Christianity. Solomon is looking and he's saying, look, if this, all this labor we do is to be better than the next guy and have the better this and the better that and the more this, stop. It's all pointless anyway. All money is funny money. Literally. If the United States government doesn't exist, you want to know what you're going to be doing with your dollar bills in your wallet? Toilet paper. Because the toilet paper companies are going to be out of business, so are going to use whatever you can for toilet paper, and the money going to be worthless because there's no government to back it up. So you can have piles of cash with dead men's fixtures on them, and then they're pointless because there's no authority behind it anymore. And there are a lot of Christians who are living their life thinking they stored like Solomon did all this stuff up, and they got all these pictures of what they've done and things and everything else, and they're going to come to a point and realize all that they built on was not on the authority of God and His Word, it was on their own authority and it's just going to be rubbish. He goes on, he says, the fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. I love this. Solomon says, look, everything is jealousy and it's pointless, right? It's futile. So you think, yeah, that's why I don't work. That's why I just sit back and watch TV and I'll do a bunch of hard stuff. Solomon's like, no. (laughs) We work for the glory of God and better to work and rest, six days work, one day rest, than to fold your arm and just consume from people. Don't do that. That is not a good pattern. When you come to a place where you're, you're living and you're struggling with this jealousy and this utility, don't just fold your arms and consume because you're going to be in trouble. You're going to consume yourself and not even realize it. He says, look, it's better handful with rest, and if you say the opposite and say, yeah, I'm not going to end up like that, so I'm just going to keep getting and getting and getting, he's like, that's a pursuit of the wind. You'll never get enough. Matthew 7, is what Jesus says about how we're to live our lives. He says, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching, you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. You're going to receive. Yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, wait. You're going to receive an answer every time, yes, no, wait, yes, no, wait. And he goes on, he says, and the one who searches after you get your yes, no, or wait, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. The question is, what are you searching for and what door you're knocking on? Because if you keep knocking, eventually somebody's going to open the door, and they're going to be either tired of you and just, boom, and kill, like get off my porch. Or they're going to let you in, and maybe that's not the door you should be knocking on. You know, so many people talk about, well, God opened a door. You know Satan opens doors too, right? You know the problem with an open sewer? It gets clogged up because everything goes in it. Sometimes God keeps the door closed to test us. To see if we'll keep knocking, to see if we'll keep coming, to see if we'll wait on the porch, or if we'll go just knock on another door to get what we want. How bad do you want it? And he says, He will open it. In Galatians, Paul says this: Don't be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows in his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows in the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good. That's what Solomon's tired of. Solomon is tired of doing good. Why? For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Don't grow tired of doing what's good. What's good, what God says is good. Solomon did a bunch of good stuff that all the nations around him and all the people were like, Solomon, you're a good person. You do good stuff for us. And in the end, it was all taken away because it wasn't good. It was all tainted. And Solomon comes to the end of his life and he's realizing, he's like, oh my goodness, what have I done? Matthew 5 So what is our response when we know that this is the world we live in, when it's a mess? We looked at some of these verses last week. He said, when you realize that this is the world that you see and get and the oppression and you work and you work and it's just a pursuit of the wind, here's what you should do. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. Not getting much here? That's great. Woohoo! You got so much coming later. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We killed Jesus because he was so glad to be back with his heavenly father and he was so not about this earth that he called everything out on this earth for what it was and we couldn't stand that. Luke 20, Jesus says, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Don't, Don't rejoice that you got some spiritual powers. He's like, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Is that what you wake up and rejoice about? You wake up and you're like, I can't wait for my miracle today. You already have a miracle. Your name's written in heaven. (laughs) That's a miracle. You can't go up there and be like, write it in yourself. Can't sneak in. You can't do enough. You can't pay enough to get your name written down on the, you know, list. The miracle is that God has grace on you and allows you to have a relationship with him and provided a way for that when you are so dirty and filthy that you're gonna make disease spread to everyone else and God says, I will clean you, I will save you, I will help you. That is the miracle of miracles. Peter says this, instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. If you can't rejoice in the sufferings, then you're going to be really shocked when you get to glory. See, Solomon didn't rejoice in suffering. He found every way possible to keep from suffering. And at the end of his life, he was miserable. Goes on, it says, Colossians, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. You want to see what you're living for? How's your relationship to the church? It's easy to keep God at a distance and think, oh, it's me and Jesus. But see, Jesus didn't stay at a distance. Jesus left his homeland of heaven to come to earth to live with idiots like you and me and to walk and to give his life and to show us what it's supposed to look like to get ready to go back. He asked us to do the same. He asks us to do the same. And he says, really, you think you're following God? I'd love to see your church log. And I don't mean you show up every time the doors are open type. I mean your love for the body of Christ, your love for a local church, a specific family you're committed to. Not, oh, I love the church general, and there's no accountability. There's no one holding, there's nothing. Just, just you decide what church is. It goes on, says this, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, Paul says in Romans, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are not going to find peace. Solomon realizes this. You are not going to find peace until he is your Lord. He is Yahweh who saves in your life and he is your Messiah. That's what Lord Jesus Christ means you are not going to find peace. You're going to chase it everywhere. And he says, we also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's a confidence. And we rejoice, what we just read, in the hope of the glory of God. Is that what you're seeing? Is that what you want? Is that what you're hoping for in the people in your life? You're hoping that people will glory in God? Well, I hope they get healed. Well, I hope they get their finances in order. Well, I hope, I hope, I hope. Would you hope that they'll just give glory to God? Because all that other stuff will happen if they just give glory to God and give him authority. He Goes on and he says, not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It was a free gift of grace. So again, Solomon sees this oppression, this labor. Then he goes again, I saw futility. I see this futility under sun. There is a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother. And though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes still Are still not content with riches. So, who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself from good? This too is futile and a miserable task. This is a big one in our culture today. There's a person without a companion. See, here's the problem we have we don't want to become a companion to people, we want everybody to be our companion on our timeline for what we want. Jesus left heaven itself to become our companion. Because companionship costs you everything. Because it's the laying down of your life so that you can encourage someone else and you can call them to struggle with you for a greater glory. And Solomon's looking at this and he's like, I've got all these wives, I've got all these women, I've got all these nations, I've got all this stuff and you wanna know something Solomon's saying? I am lonely. I am alone. Why? Because I haven't come to chapter 12 yet. And figured that it's just about knowing God and obeying him. And he says, why am I depriving myself from good? Look at everything else everybody else has. I should just go get what everybody else wants. It's like, don't do it. It's futile. Romans 12 says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. You want to know how to be spiritual? You want to know how to worship God? Don't live by what you see. Live by faith and surrender your body to do God's work. Every day, every moment, say, God, here I am again. And when you mess up, you know what you do? You bring your body back to him and said, here's the sacrifice. It's yours again. Kill it. <laughs> Resurrect me back up, please. Thank you that you do it every time, 70 times 7, over and over again. And he says, look at this. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice he doesn't say, don't be conformed to this age and be transformed by seeing different stuff. He says, it's going to be a mind battle that you're going to have to fight constantly and then he says so that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will of God see Solomon is trying to get to that place where he's trying to discern what is the good perfect and pleasing will of God I've tried everything and I'm miserable look at this he says for by the grace given to me I tell everyone among you not to think highly of himself more highly than he should think instead think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one look at this Now, as we have many parts in one body. See, Paul says, look, it's about a relationship with God. It's about seeing him. It's about trusting him. But he said the proof is in how you respond to others who know me. Matthew 26, 37. You think that we shouldn't feel this way, that maybe these feelings of not having a companion and being alone, there's something Broken, that's not a normal feeling. No, it's very normal. Jesus says, taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow. This is Jesus speaking, to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. He had some companions. Going a little further into the garden, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup, that's the cup of judgment, the last cup of the Passover, let this Passover cup Pass from me, pass over me, yet, not as my flesh I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he asked Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. See, Jesus said these things He struggled to find the companions, and Jesus became the ultimate companion to them over and over and over again. Ecclesiastes, he goes on, he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up up. Most of us don't have companionship because we don't want to get that close to people. Why? Because we don't want people to see our lives. Why? Because we don't want people challenging how we live our life. Why? You see where this keeps going? Companionship is a choice to move into the mess of relationships and to take whatever comes with it. That's what Jesus did. There is no perfect church. Every church is broken. Every church is flawed. The question is, why can't you find a companion? Because the problem is not the companions. Because if Jesus could come and be our companion when we were the biggest problem ever, then you might want to rethink what you're looking for. He goes on and he says, also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? Right? Well you get more heating blankets. You get more blankets. Turn the heat up. Yeah, there's a solution. Or maybe you should like think about having a companion to keep warm. (laughs) It's like, well, yeah, but then they're gonna move around and they kind of stink and then they sweat. And I'm not a sweaty person, so yeah, I'll just take the blankets. And they're hairy. He goes on, he says, and if someone overpowers one person, two can resist it. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. A cord of three strands, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, unbroken. Three strands, one God. Husband, wife, Christ, three strands, one. You, Christ, and the church, three strands, one. You see a theme? If you want to be completely powerless in this world and just be a broken, messed up person, then just have one or two strands. If you truly want to be someone who's strong and cannot be broken no matter what's thrown at you, three strands. He goes on and says this, better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. For he comes from prison to be king even though he was born poor in his kingdom. This would have been a struggle for Solomon. He's probably looking at himself and thinking, oh, I was such an idiot back then. Coming to the end of his life, seeing his youth and thinking, what did I do marrying 700 women? Well, what have I done to the kingdom? What, have I learned nothing? I mean, Solomon would have been like better when I was young and I hadn't made all those mistakes and done stupid stuff yet. I had one wife. I wrote one book about that wife. That was was a good time. Better that than some foolish old king, who won't listen to warnings. See, Paul or sorry, Solomon is giving a warning here, and he's wondering, is anybody going to listen to it? Are you going to listen to Solomon's warnings? Am I going to listen? Are the king is the kingdom the kingdom's not going to listen? The kingdom gets split. They don't listen. Within a couple of hundred years, both kingdoms are off in captivity. Northern kingdom mostly slaughtered by the Assyrians. Southern kingdom mostly slaughtered and a bunch of them captives and slaves in Babylon. Because they didn't listen to the warnings. They just kept doing what they saw to do. What Solomon modeled for them to do. They didn't heed the warning of an old foolish king because he's saying in this book, I'm a fool, don't do what I did, listen to my warning." And we look at all Solomon had and said, yeah, I get all the warnings, but man, that'd be nice to have, and that too, and that too, and that too. Then he says, I saw all the living who move about under the sun, follow a second youth who succeeds him. There is no limit to all the people who were born before them, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. They think the next guy's going to fix things. I'm, mean, Oh, we got a new king. Oh, he's going to be." They won't listen to him either. They're not going to rejoice in him either. They're going to get mad and be like, next guy up. Kill him. Because rejoicing isn't about who you have on this earth. Rejoicing isn't about how it all works out on this earth. Rejoicing is something that comes deeply, and it's a gift of God given through the power of the Holy Spirit through a relationship with God by faith. That's where rejoicing comes from. And Solomon is figuring this out. Ephesians says better, I'm sorry. uh, He goes on and says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to draw near in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do for they ignorantly do wrong. Guard your steps when you go to God's house. Remember, God's house has been moved. We don't have a house as in a temple we go to This is the house. Guard your steps when you look at your heart. Better to draw near in obedience to God than to try to do all the sacrificial, I'm going to church, I'm serving, I'm doing all, that stuff's important. Don't not obey, but like look at the heart because that's what fools do ignorantly and then they end up doing all the wrong stuff, which is what Solomon sees he has done. So what do we do? First Samuel says this. Then Samuel said, he's talking to King Saul, the first king of Israel. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and defiance is like the wickedness of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. See, David went after the word of God over and over again and struggled. Solomon has put off the word of God and used his own earthly wisdom to make everything work out. And now he's coming back around to realize, oh my goodness, let me ask you, when you read God's word, do you read it with a spirit of rejection or a spirit of obedience? Do you read it and you're like, I just want to see what you who you are and I want to do what you say today, Lord. Or do you read it and be like, we'll see if I can figure this out today and having an argument with God every time you read the word. Like just don't don't reject the word of the Lord he's given to you. Like see what he's trying to do to draw you in. He says Look, obey is better than sacrifice. You can keep trying to sacrifice and prove yourself and trying to make your works and don't do it. Just stop, just confess who you are, the mess you're in. That's what Solomon is doing in front of us in Ecclesiastes. He's confessing 11, almost 12 chapters of mess. Yep, I did that. I'm a disaster, terrible king, messed it up. Just letting you all know. Now, please, from this point forward, let's fear God and obey him. And Solomon dies before he can fix anything. He doesn't get to fix any of it, but he has a relative who does named Josiah, who comes to power at the age of eight because of the wickedness of the kingdom and all the kings killing each other. Josiah comes to the king at a throne at age eight. You know what causes Josiah to bring a revival on the nation? He wants a bedtime story, so he wants the word of God read, and as the word of God is read to young Josiah, he's like, I want that. Let's do that. I'm king. Can I make people do that? Yes, you can. And all of a sudden, the people were required to obey God for the first time in generations. Because Josiah was like, oh, God says that? Then that's what we're going to do. Oh, we're not supposed to have those high places that Solomon built? Okay, we're going to tear all those down. I'm just going to believe. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to try to fit it into culture, figure out how to make everybody happy. No, it's what he says. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do what he says. Well, you can't do that. There's a lot of nuances. No, you can. Now, the question is, what heart are you doing it for? Are you doing it so you can just say, I'm right, and I'll show you? Or are you literally like young Josiah and are like, I love this guy. He's so great. He's been so good to us. Let's just tell him thank you and do what he says. Hebrews says this. Remember, Hebrews is written to the Israelites. Likely the author is Paul and he writes, let us draw near. Remember Solomon just wrote and said, what? Or Samuel said to draw near. Solomon says, watch your steps and it's better to draw near in obedience. Draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. That's how God says love works and what good works are. Then he says, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me ask you, is that your heart? Solomon's not there yet. He's struggling with this. He comes finally to the 12th chapter and he gets to that point where he's like, Fear God and obey his commands. But do you see that God wants you to draw near to him? That he will give you a new heart, a true heart? That he will give you assurance that he loves you and cares for you and has forgiven you? That he wants to show you that he wants to, like a baby, sprinkle you and wash you clean? That he wants to give you a new body? That he wants you to hold on to that confession? with hope, without wavering, because there's an unseen world that this world can't see? And if you believe it, then there's evidence in one thing. Are you concerned about the others who believe it? Do you have concern that those who are staying away don't get it, or those who keep switching and changing, habitually, running from relationships, they're not getting it? He says, no, 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 no. As you see the day approaching, draw near more and more and more. But yeah, the more I draw near, the more mess I see. Yep, that's Solomon. The more he drew near, the the older he got, the more mess he saw. And in the end he says, but I know, I know that I know that I know that it's about having awe of God and obeying what he commands. So let me ask you this morning, will you be in awe of God? Will you see all that he has done and all he has laid out? Will you be in awe of him? And when you would say, God, I just want to obey you. And when I fail, I want to obey you by saying I failed, asking forgiveness, receiving that grace, and knowing that you've forgiven me. It's a beautiful picture. If that's what you want, you can see, not with earthly eyes, but with spiritual eyes and all that we read, that that's God's desire for your life. Do you want it? God's not holding back. We're the ones pushing back. God says, I want to give you joy. I want to give you hope. I, yes, there's sufferings, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to be sorrowful, and you're going to be lonely, and there's all these things that are going to happen, but I am telling you there is hope, and you can see it over and over again through all the people of Scripture. Let me ask you, if you've not trusted Christ, I pray you do it today. You'd surrender and say, you know what? I've seen, I've heard everything under the sun. I'm done. I've heard it and seen it all. I want this and I'm going to trust this and I'm going to give myself to Christ and his body, the church, like we read about over and over again. And I'm going to draw near to Christ. I'm going to draw near to the church and I'm going to do what he asks to go out into the world, to work, to serve, to give my life an offering just like he did so that others might come to know him. See, that's what Solomon's figuring out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. and Lord, I pray that you do your work in people's lives that are here. People that are joining online, I pray that they would get serious about dealing with their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would draw us near to you in this moment. But Lord, you draw us near not to point your finger and judge us. You tell us that as we draw near, if we truly draw near, it's because we see that we are judged and we need help. And you say that if that's the case, that you will embrace us. As long as we give you the authority that's yours. So Lord, for anybody that's struggling this morning, I pray that they would draw near to you. I pray that they would see that you want to give them confidence. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word this morning, to have these truths, to teach us how to live our lives differently as we go out from this place this week. And Lord, if anybody doesn't know you, if they're struggling to surrender, I pray today would be the day they surrender to you. They'd be like Solomon and say, you know what, I'm done. I just want to fear God and learn what it means to obey him. And for those of us who know you, I pray that we'll have confidence to take our stand. That we'll stop looking around and seeing all the things we want and we'll see you because you're all that we could ever want. And we'll see the church as messy as it is and as broken as it is, as messed up as it is, and we will see that it is the thing you've given us so that we can have a cord of three strands that's not easily broken. So Lord, help us to have spiritual eyes that see Help us to have faith this seas. In your name. Amen.